Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we're welcoming the incredible Eric P. Bishop, author of The Body Man, uh, to the show. A book... Uh, well, for, before we get into that, Eric, great to have you on here. How's life treating you? You know, John, no complaints. I think we're the world's getting a little bit back more normal, if I could say that, maybe. And, um, you know, we got some concerts going. I was in Dollywood the other day, it felt kind of normal and uh, doing well. No complaints. The uh, I do want to talk about music with you because you do are you very are uh, into the music and stuff like that in terms of the creativity outlet for you. But in terms of Dollywood, I saw today, uh, the Dolly uh, Pardon uh, actually took herself off the list for the Rock and Roll Hall of fame uh because she doesn't feel she was rock and roll enough so uh that's pretty cool i saw that tweet actually myself and um you don't normally see people say no <laughs> so that's kind of that was kind of interesting yeah it was uh it was kind of cool like you said very, the whole idea of being told you're good enough you're good enough to be something that someone tells you're good enough it's like an author that oh you're a new york times bestseller that's, that's when you've made it just because you're not on that list doesn't make you make it to that level. Or there's a ton of right. bands that should be in the Hall of Fame. There's a ton of authors out there uh, that should be on every New York Times bestseller list, but they're not. But that doesn't deter them from being a great band or a great uh, author and stuff. So, absolutely. Uh, again, I want to thank you for jumping on here. And before we dive into the Body Band, which for me, having spent seven years of my life in the Secret Service, I'm very skeptical. Uh, of stuff portrayed Secret Service, whether it's the West Wing on TV or sure. White House Down or Olympus Has Fallen. They always portray the Secret Service as some of these idiots that run around from every nook and cranny with guns blazing, shooting people dying. And it makes for great entertainment. Um, but when I saw this book come across, I think our mutual friend Jason Piccolo, you did some stuff mm -hmm. with him, and I saw it. I'm like, well, man, if, it's, if Jason's talking to this guy, the book's got to be legit. So I get the book, I read it. And I'm just blown away for someone that's this is your first book. And yeah. for that to be out there like this, you took a huge risk by throwing yourself into this world, especially with the background that you don't have with a lot of these characters. How did Correct. you kind of get yourself into this world per se? Because you weren't from you're not from a military background, not from law enforcement. How did you just do it? So I'm a storyteller. First and foremost, I'm a storyteller. Um which can be scary because a lot of these guys that I interact with, some of them are friends, um, I read their books. If they're writing about something, say, for the military, they have that military background. Um, I obviously don't. As we mentioned off camera, and I, and I say it on camera, I'm a financial analyst during the day. I write at night. It's my hobby, my passion. I would love for it to pay my bills um, at some point in my life. But um, ultimately, for me, it comes down with take, you know, having a good story. And because I don't have that background, because I wasn't a Secret Service agent, wasn't FBI agent, um, any of that, no military background, in a way, my story has to be that much better than someone with that experience because a publisher can sell a person and a book. They can't sell me if they're right, if they're talking about a Secret Service book because I researched a lot, but I made stuff up. So I don't have that pedigree of saying, well, I serve, you know, I was with the Secret Service for 10 years and, you know, I kind of know where the bodies are buried. I know the secrets. 
I do not know the secrets. I did have an agent that I knew um, who did read the book, uh, you know, nothing like on the record or anything, but instead it was, you know, didn't punch any holes in it. Um, said it was, you know, obviously I made some stuff up, but you know, it was, was very complimentary. So that, that kind of helped. Um, and I will say too, on the FBI side, um, a fellow author actually nominated me to take the uh, FBI Citizens Academy. So I oh, did awesome. that. Um, I did that actually in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, about three years ago now. Um, and that kind of filled in some holes for me. I had actually finished the manuscript, at least the first draft, but before I took the class. But I went back and fixed some stuff after taking the class. Um, and that was an amazing class. Um, just what I learned about the FBI and the respect. I already had a lot of respect for it. Uh, the organization, but seeing what the actual agents do, talking with them, spending time. Um, I think because I was in the class and I was the I was the author that kept raising their hands to do everything. But after the couple classes, they just would be like, Mr. Author. And so when, when the bomb tech guy came in, they said, you're putting on the bomb, you're putting on the 80 pound bomb uniform. And I'm yep. like, cool. They made me crawl, roll around in it, look like an idiot. And I loved every second of it. I got polygraphed uh we did a, a you know a, a, a good no good shoot you know we went out and did some shooting yep. sim, uh, the, the simulation not 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 a real shoot um but uh yeah it was it was an amazing experience and it was scary experience um because with little kids one of the classes was all about uh predators the internet the sex industry mm -hmm. i knew a lot about that because i had researched it for an early book but i didn't really know as much as I knew after I got out of that segment of the of the session, so that that was scary. Um, scary I like how you I like how you threw yourself in there to kind of get the idea of it. The idea when when you work with numbers and the way you do, is there any correlation between the way you deal with numbers and the way you deal with words or letters? Because it seems like patterns and like, are you able to kind of figure out? when it came to writing, because I mean, I can only imagine the, the original draft of this was probably a lot longer. So when, it, when dealing with numbers and the endless nuances of numbers in terms of writing, is there any correlation there between that? No, I think if there's a correlation, it's probably with knowing, um, not the numbers as much, it's more of attention to detail and trying to get things right. Because with, you know, with my day job, uh, it, it's close enough, doesn't count it. You know, when we're doing budgets or we're doing stuff that I do, uh, they don't want to, you know, just say, well, just, you know, guess, just guess. So I think that's what correlates to then writing a book is I know it sometimes I have to guess because I don't have top secret clearance. I don't have the, you know, laundry list of people I can call, um, but I'll research as much as I can. And then if I have to make it up, man, I know people are going to pop holes in it if it's not sounding at least pretty accurate. So I try to make it up as good as I, as good as I can. Um, so I guess that's how it probably just just the the attention to detail is probably what comes in with my day job versus the the night you know doing the writing at night. What I love about the book is that the in the first feels like the first paragraph you get introduced to this body man uh, who for the reader if you haven't read the book yet I highly suggest you read it but he's basically the guy that guards the secrets of the presidency and you meet this guy very briefly you learn about his watch everything specific and then all of a sudden he's abducted and then the, the book kind of starts there which is insane because there's it felt like I knew everything about this guy through the first paragraph but then all of a sudden he's abducted you're like well shit there goes the rest like what's going to happen now and yeah. so those little details and stuff like that. I, I love the fact that it's very detail oriented, but the, the human aspect you bring in there, like these aren't perfect characters mm -hmm. and it, the writing 
listen, I grew up reading all the Tom Clancy stuff and Clive Cussler, and there is a place for those books. And I've lived this world, firearms, trading, all this stuff. I don't want to read two chapters on a pistol. I don't want to read about uh, the nomenclature of a rifle for three chapters. Like, I, Give me the characters. And you, you have that equal balance. And so I guess the first question, in putting this book together, did you have that in the back of your mind where it's like you got to have the best of both worlds here? Yeah, kind of, sort of. And, and just take a step back from what you said about the details. I learned something, and I'll, I, I won't name drop who it was, uh, but it was someone uh, with many years of experience in the military, a special operations type of person, and a very successful writer, New York Times bestseller. And I was talking to him one time, and he said, look, you've got to get the details 100% right or don't put the details in. He said, so for me, with my experience, I can tell you what a Delta guy or what a SEAL will have for a weapon and probably be accurate. Um, He said, you might not. So for you, it's better to say gun versus, well, he had a Glock 19 or he had whatever. You know, sometimes I do put specifics there. It's easy to figure out what the Secret Service uses and what the FBI uses. Yeah, It's all Um, known. It's out there. Yeah. Right. You know, there's government contracts you can look up and see who we're paying money to for all the, (laughs) you know, all the weaponry and stuff. Um, But, you know, especially anytime I've and I wrote some this is actually my fourth completed novel. I wrote three uh, to start with that didn't go anywhere. And they're. I'd love to do something maybe one day, but they're kind of my apprenticeship of learning what I was doing. Um, But those did have some more military in it. And those are the things because I can, you know, you can get those right if you weren't in the military, but it's a lot harder, Um, which was my concern with when I wrote The Body Man, because I was concerned, you know, Secret Service agent might pick this book up and just chastise me up and down how horrible it was. But I also viewed it as, there's not a lot of them out there that know exactly how the sausage is made. So I'm hoping if they read them, they'd be kind versus there's tons of military people out there, tons of people that have served our country and are, are not in uniform anymore. So there's a lot, lot larger of a scope of people that could tear apart a military novel if I wrote, you know, something that I really wasn't qualified to write. I don't think people that read stuff just to nitpick, like, this isn't an autobiography. Like this body man, this character, or uh, Eli Payne or Cat Stone, they're not real people. Um, so for people that nitpick the details and stuff like that, I find they're the same people that are going to do a negative Yelp review because they're having a bad day and whatever. It's those type of yeah. people. And I've, I'm curious, every time I talk to an author, how do you deal with that criticism? Because there could be good criticism, uh, which can affect you in different ways. And obviously the negative criticism mm-hmm. Are you able to block that out? Because the fact you've got a book published that you're well ahead of the curve of anyone that wants to write a book or even attempt to put a book out there. Right. And the fact you are here, part of me thinks you're kind of like, you know what? This is my story I created. It might have parts of truth and based on some similar mm-hmm. stuff, but this is my world I'm living in. This, this is my, my baby. So how do you kind of deal with that? The criticism and everything. So the famous thing is they always say you better have thick skin if you write. And, and that's true. And, and I think I do have thick skin, but at the end of, you all also are a person. So you definitely don't like to hear someone just tear apart what you've written. Um, I'd say from the get go, I'll say it this way. I write these books. I mean, like you, I wrote, you know, grew up reading Tom Clancy. I grew up reading, um, you know, as I got older, Vince Flynn was a huge influence yes. on me. Daniel Silva. Um, you know, just tons of, and actually I really, before all that, I really wrote, uh, read the classics, uh, Shakespeare and Dickens and, uh, Victor Hugo. And 
Um, but as I got in writing it and as I started writing what I wanted to do, one of the early things I kind of figured out is I don't write for anybody else. I want people to enjoy my stories. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, if I write something and I'm happy with it, if I write something and it makes me laugh, if I write something and it, and it, and it just takes a crappy day and it makes it, you know, smell like roses, then that's what I, that's my joy getting out of it. Um, now, people getting, giving me praise, which I've gotten a lot for this book, it means so much to me, but I almost didn't expect it. I wanted to write a book that I enjoyed. When, when I finished The Body Man, even the early draft, I said, man, I got something special here. And, um, you know, I refined it for a while, started giving out copies to some folks I knew. And then the feedback I got immediately was like, you've got some, you, you hit the nail on the head on this. Um, it all came together. Um, and I think that was a combination of those first three books kind of learning what I was doing. Cause in a way you're always kind of emulating something. So my, the way I look at it, I was kind of emulating in a way, Tom Clancy. Um, but Tom Clancy doesn't just give you a watch. He gives you instructions on how you build the watch. I didn't want to write with that detail. So as I started reading, you know, later on in college and my early twenties was Vince Flynn. And I think Vince took what Tom gave, which is a great story and compacted it. So that ended up being more of my model was Vince Flynn um, and really how he put his stories together. And so anytime I get a compliment pointing back to either of those authors, um, yeah, it makes you feel pretty special. It makes you feel really good. I was curious, the editing process for you, you mentioned as long as you're happy. In the first couple of drafts, you said to the editor, when they said back there, uh, their review and what they think should be said here. Is it tough to swallow some of that stuff where it's like, they don't know I'm the author here or like, how do you deal with an editor that thinks this should be in here, but the part should be staying, it should stay out. Like, how do you kind of navigate that world there? You know, I was fortunate. I had two editors. I had an editor before I got the book. So before, uh, one of the advice I had got from uh, an author friend was before you try to sell this, um, get an agent, get a publisher, whatever route you go. Um, have a professional editor go through it. So I did hire someone, a gentleman out of Hawaii, actually. Um, and he was really kind. Um, he, he, he fixed my grammatical issues. That's my, my weakness. You know, there's some people that can put something together and they can kind of do everything um, and do all of it fairly well. I think I can tell a story really well. Um, grammatically, can I get it all correct? No, that's why there's editors and you either give them money or if you have a publisher, the publisher pays an editor to fix their client's work. Um, so I, I paid for an initial edit. Um, and then I still had problems, you know, getting interest, which I had a couple of authors read the book and they're like, we're going to eat our, our hat here. We don't know why people aren't buying this book. Um, so I, I, you know, it took about a year to get someone and then uh, Force Poseidon, um, I guess it was a little over a year now, uh, a year now that they, um, they gave me the three book deal. Um, so I actually do not have an agent. Um, I actually ended up going with a smaller press um, that didn't require an agent. And, you know, I, the agent was, was a hard one because I really thought I'd get one. And I think I went to, I never really counted it up. I have a spreadsheet somewhere. I did a couple iterations of going to agents, but easily it was over a hundred people. Um, and they didn't all ask for full or anything. Probably dozens asked for full or partials. Um, but the, that process was frustrating. Um, and I know it's frustrating for agents too. They get so many submissions um, and they have to weed out the crazy people basically. And they have to go through so much. But um, the feedback I was getting from agents wasn't consistent. 
Um, which is why ultimately I decided to say, well, is there an, an, uh, another writer friend had suggested, why don't you look at a small publisher um, versus why don't you look at someone that's not requiring an agent? Because this book is that good. It's as good as anything that's out in the market. Um, why agents are turning you down or passing it up. It's just, it's not making sense. You're just not getting the right agent. Well, I tried for a year and a half and I just said, I don't want to have the body man sitting on my hard drive for the next five years while I try to get an agent. So I said, do I want an agent? Or do I want a book published? So that's kind of what brought me to um, to go with a smaller publisher, um, and which I was really grateful I did. So they then uh, did an edit as well. I, by that point, I think it was much more fine tuning, um, adding little details, fixing things, um, because I had a lot of the grammatical stuff fixed, which um, there's still things that sneak through, of course, um, but that was more. So I didn't, you know, you, you'll hear sometimes books get rejected back. The editors is like, no, this is horrible, or this part's got to go, or you got to switch this. I didn't have that experience. Um, I think because I had kind of fine tuned it so much, and I also had other authors read it. Um, interestingly enough, and you mentioned it, the first chapter where you start with the Body Man, which that wasn't the first chapter years ago when I first had had uh, a first chapter I started writing was in Central Park. Not, not it wasn't based there. I was actually sitting in Central Park writing it. Um, but it actually started uh, with Mercy, uh, the female assassin in the book. It was actually her chapter, um, which got it got shifted several chapters out into more of a flashback. Um, but see, so yeah, a lot of that by the time the, ed the publisher got it, a lot of that um, a lot of that stuff that a regular editor might do with the publisher um, had kind of been fine tuned out and, and worked through. It seems. In a world that's so starving for a creative outlet and people to put this, when Hollywood and TV shows are always remaking the same stuff or it's all rehashed stuff, an idea like the Body Man is it's just so unique. Mm -hmm. And it's like the first time I watched National Treasure. It's like you wished all this stuff was really happening. Like, is this really this incredible world you build? Right. So, as you deal with the, I'm not going to say rejection, but the year of searching for publishers, it, for people that don't get as far as you got, and their stuff is still on a laptop. Like, what advice do you have for them? They're still kind of, uh, I, I want to be a writer. I love this thing. People love it, but I can't get any respect. Of my, I can't get any publishers. Like, what's your advice yeah. to those people? Yeah, no, great question. And, uh, you know, I was uh, fortunate early on. I, I was able to do a bunch of media and, and, and do a bunch of podcasts. And, and I want to make sure every time, even now when I'm doing them, I try to speak to that person that was me for so long. Um, and the advice is really simple. You don't quit. Um, you have to figure out what you want out of this. Do you want a book that's going to get published? Some people just want, and it, the first step is you have to complete a novel. Um, you have to get that first draft done. And most people never will. So most people that start a book will never finish that first draft. And so what I try to encourage people to do is get to that point where you finish that first draft. Doesn't mean it's going to be the best book. It might have to get changed. You might have to hire an editor. You might have to do all kinds of things. But for your own sense of accomplishment, and this is what I've tried to teach my kids too, is stick to something, finish it. Now, maybe when you finish that book, you'll, you'll realize, or people will read it um, and tell you, it's no good. This can't get published. Well, then you got to start another set of thought processes. Do you go back and fix that? Do you write something else? Uh, so that'll kind of spider web out for you possibly. But um, if you don't finish that first draft, if you don't stick with it, then there is no more conversations about how do you get an agent? How do you get that? You have nothing to present. You've, you've already, you've, you've given up, you've quit. And that's the, um, uh, it's something I've mentioned and I've put in, in some of the stuff I've written is 
I'm sure other, someone else probably said it originally, um, but I always attribute it to Brad Thor, who's, you know, yes. number one New York Times bestseller. Um, the only difference between a published author and an unpublished author is the published author never quit. And I really took that as my mantra, John. So, um, and I try to do with most of my tweets and stuff I put on my website is, you know, don't quit, never quit. Um, you know, you, you, you miss every pitch you don't swing at. So if you want to write a book, well then sit down and write a book. And that, that's what I did. I was, you know, my first book I finished when I was in 2014. Um, and I had a lit, I have on this computer that we're talking, I have two folders. One's called books, which is the body man's on there. The three other books I finished around there, three other books I've started are on there. Um, well, I also have a, a folder called old books and it's basically 20 files of books. I started from starting basically in my first year out of college. And what I learned in 2014, when I finally started that first novel was Eric was good at starting something and Eric was terrible at finishing something. Interesting. So in 2014, my goal, which I wrote a book called Vengeance, um, my goal was to finish a book. That's, of course, when I finished it, I thought, well, I'm the man, you know, I'm going to be successful and someone's going to pay me and I'm going to, you know, holly, you know, Netflix, everything's coming. You know, seven years later, The Body Man came out, which was my fourth book for the first for my debut novel. So, you know, I got a little lesson in humility and how life really works. But but I learned that lesson back in 2014 of don't quit. And when when no one was interested in, you know, no agents were interested in that first book, what did I do? I wrote the second book. When the second book didn't get any interest in agents, what did I do? I wrote the third book. And it wasn't until the fourth book that I put something out there that people that read it started to say, you got something here. Um, right. And so I, I think whether you're a musician, whether you're an artist, you know, whatever, whatever your occupation or whatever your profession, especially if it's creative, um, you've got to put yourself out there and you've got to put in the hard work. Uh, the other thing I will say too, is what I realized at the time in 2014 is I was married. I had two kids. I had a full-time job. Um, so to write, I had to do something and I wasn't going to sacrifice my family time. So what I did was I cut television out of my life. And so for, from June of 2014 until September, I was, that was the time period it took me to do my first draft on that first book. Um, I wrote from 10 o'clock at night until I finished. Some nights it was midnight, some nights it was 4 a.m. Um, I didn't watch any television. I had one night a week that I'd like, it wasn't necessarily Sunday, but it'd be my Sabbath of, okay, I can just binge watch something. I think I watched Breaking Bad at the time. I was binging Breaking Bad one night a week and drinking something yep. to relax. Um, but that mindset, got, that's how I got that completed novel. I didn't, you know, I couldn't quit my job. I couldn't just tell my kids, hey, dad's not going to talk to you anymore and sit in a room and write. I did it when everyone went to sleep. Um, so everyone goes to sleep, 10 o'clock, I'd sit down. That was dad's time. And I had to write a book, um, which is kind of similar to what I do now, except I do have some time on the weekends, free time now without the kids that I can work. And people that follow the podcast with Dobie, I've, I have this goal to write a, a book. I have this character in place, all this stuff, but I found I can really only work if I'm at my desk with a cup of coffee and I'm not, I'm not someone that can write on a plane while traveling or in a hotel room. I mean, I'll take notes and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. when you mentioned being in Central Park or, yeah, I know you post stuff on Instagram and stuff where you're writing out on the deck or yeah. like all this stuff, and you can you're able to go around. Is that is that something you have to kind of build into like your schedule, like you said, or have you always been able to somebody kind of work, start a chapter here, finish over here? Like your 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 you see your creative outlet seems very like strong. 
And it's kind of yeah. cool to see you're able to kind of continue a story in one state, finish over here. It's just really, it's really cool. So I finished my first, so the, the Vengeance, I was talking about, novel in 2014. I finished it in Yosemite. Probably, and I said this to a friend recently, and they, were, they again, it kind of gave me grief because they thought it was a negative comment. And it's not a negative comment. I said, that'll probably be the greatest memory for writing I have in my life is I finished that first novel sitting in Yosemite. I wrote for about eight hours. I had planned out, I had a business trip and I was going to, I was going to stay one extra day to write. And I kind of had gotten that point in September. I think I finished on the 21st of September of 2014. Um, but I, I, I had like three chapters left. And so I wrote those last three chapters in Yosemite and I actually took the characters, uh, Troy, and Kate, I took them in my epilogue for that book. I put them in Yosemite in the spot I was sitting on their honeymoon. And I told that that last epilogue there as I looked out and saw everything. Um, yeah, I got done, I cried. I cried, I smoked a cigar, I screamed out loud. Fortunately, there was no one around me. I probably right. scared the, the deer and the mountain lion that was about to eat me. Um, but uh, to me, that's not a negative though. It's like that, that it was like when I was, 20, 19 or 20 years old, I went to Europe for three weeks uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of, of college. And in three weeks, I saw seven countries and what most people don't see in a lifetime. And I, I was telling this to my kids recently. So that was the greatest trip of my life. And I said, and that's not a negative statement. Like, yeah, I'll go on some great trips and I have some amazing bucket yeah. list things I want to do. But I knew at that moment when I was there, I'll never have a moment like this in life where I get to do this for this period of time with these people and see these sites. And to me, that's a blessing. That's not a negative at all. And same with stories. So I, I've been able to, sorry, long answer to say, I've been able to, as, I, as I've been on the writing journey, to just wherever I am, focus on, hey, I need to finish this chapter. I need to start a chapter. And I can just block out what I need to block out. And I can just, I go back to my head of what story I'm wanting to tell and dream it up and create it and put it down on the, on the laptop, whether I'm sitting, uh, you know, sitting in Yosemite, sitting on a plane in a coffee shop. Um, I finished one of my books, uh, my second or third, I can't remember now. That's terrible. My second book, I finished it at the lodge, uh, the, the lobby of Great Wolf Lodge up in Charlotte. My kids oh, were up wow. there. I put them all to bed and I was like one, two chapters left to go. And I went and sat on the lobby till 2 a.m. around the camp, around the fire and just wrote. And it was awesome. I finished it. I was like, sweet. So I, I kind of made a pact with myself at that point. Don't finish a book in your house, which I've done since then. So I'm close with Breach of Trust, the follow-up. I'm hoping this coming weekend, I don't have my kids, no custody this weekend. I've got a bunch of words, so I don't know, but my goal is to finish it. I won't be doing it from this chair. I'll either be sitting up in, uh, I was, might go to Charleston. I might just go up to the mountains here, but yep, I'll just yep. be around nature, sit there, have a cigar with me close by, finish that book. I'll cry again. I'll be excited. And then the next day I'll say, okay, I got to tear this crap up and start editing it, <laughs> you know, make it, right. make it readable. Is it distracting for you as a, a writer and trying to be creative with, with the world around you, uh, say a pandemic or a war in Russia or rising gas price, whatever the issue is in the world that's affecting everyone. Is that a distraction to you when it terms to your writing and building these things? That's yes. my distraction. That's yeah. the big, that's the only distraction I have, honestly. I can oh, turn no. off everything else. This one I can't. People that are watching this or know me say, yeah, you don't never shut up online. That's correct. So I have to put that sometimes in the other room. Problem is I use it for research. So I'll be writing on my laptop where I'm talking to you and I'll have the phone next to me and I'll be like, okay, what does the secret service use for a weapon? So, you know, right, right, Google right. and a few things I can find. Um, but yeah, that's, no, it doesn't. 
Um, although I'm trying to think, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think during some of the, I guess during the last two years, I've pretty much wrote Breach of Trust. I'll be done with it here pretty soon. I started another book. I'm about a third done with that. I put that aside when I got the book contract. Um, I want to go back and finish that one this summer and maybe shop that around to some publishers or uh, an agent as well. Um, but yeah, I think in a way, John, with everything, with the world going to hell, with everything going, being able to sit down and write a story is, is therapeutic. Yeah. Um, it kind of takes you, it kind of takes you away from all the bad stuff in life. It, it's a distraction in some ways, but it's a good distraction because it's creative. Um, and there's a little part of me as I've been writing recently, you're thinking, are we about to get nuked? Does, is this, does it even matter if I finish this chapter? I mean, I, but at the end of the day too, I can't live my life in fear of wonder. It's that's how I've dealt with the pandemic. And right. I'm fortunate I've lived in the South where, um, and fortunate in the sense of, and I, I know a lot of people and I know it's a very politicized thing, but where I say I'm fortunate is we've not had the, the draconian restrictions here. Other people did have. Um, so it's felt a little bit more like normal. Um, like I said, I was in Dollywood this weekend, um, uh, yesterday, uh, we were there for six, seven hours. I saw one person with a mask. Of course we're outdoors. Everything, all the rides are outdoors. Everything we're doing is, I didn't, we didn't go inside any shows or anything. Um, but there was one person with a mask and they literally had it sitting down here and everything. I'm like, and I wanted to just be like, Hey, cool. If you're going to wear that, God bless you. Put it on correctly. <laughs> or right. don't put it on at all. I mean, right. what, what are you doing? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, it, but it was very, it was very normal though. And that was kind of the, that's where I'm hoping we're getting kind of into more of a normal, because I don't think anyone thought two years later, we'd still be talking about lockdowns and masks and restrictions. And, you know, do you, do you got right. your, you, you got your negative COVID test to go see a concert or something or whatever. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so the, you mentioned being outdoors and hiking. I think that's, for most people, including myself, a very it's a great way to kind of clear my head and just kind of just get the space away from the city and technology. Yeah. But you also, in your book, you in your thanks and your end, you talk about the impact of music, specifically the band U2. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of the actual writing process, do you have music playing in the background? Are you able to multitask like that? Like The role of music in your life, how does that affect the writing process specifically? Good, great question. So in the last couple books, it's hit or miss. Um, I might, I was sitting here writing a couple, well, last week, week and a half ago, and I was in a Dave Matthews mood. So I just, you know, I, I, there's a couch on this side that you can't see and a big flat screen TV over on that side of the room. And I'll sometimes sit in the couch or in the, in the comfortable chair over there. And I was just starting to write and I was like, I need some background noise. So I just put Dave, Dave Matthews on and shuffled and I turned it down pretty low. I didn't want it loud. Um, there's some nights I'll write to the Rolling Stones, some nights I'll write to Eminem. There's some people I know that write scenes based on, or they need that music to help with their scene. Um, like if they're going to have action, you know, they're going to go really heavy with music or they're going to have something, you know, they're not going to have Yanni playing. Um, I will say, yeah, you, you mentioned Bono. So I'm a huge, I've sent Bono a book. So Bono, if you're watching this, just at least acknowledge you got it. I'd be, you know, super happy. Um, but uh, I've, I don't write to YouTube very often, probably because I listen to them more when I'm not writing. Maybe that's why I, I never, that's for, I might be Freudian. I've never really thought about that. Um, I will say there's a, um, I, I believe they're, I believe they're Christian. Uh, there's a band called thousand foot crutch. Yes. Who, yes. Um, when I wrote the first book vengeance, I was listening to them like exclusively for a couple months. 
And there was actually scenes and chapters in the book that to this day, if I go to look at that chapter, that song will pop back in my head because it was almost choreographing those action scenes for me. And they're really heavy, really a lot of guitar and the bass is, is, is hitting you hard. Um, but man, I love that. I could, I could hear that song and it would bring me back to that chapter I wrote, which was really cool. So um, my son's really big into music. Um, he started playing the guitar. He actually got a Les Paul guitar from my aunt last year, uh, which mm -hmm. is hanging in his bedroom and he pulls it down and jams on. He's more, more classical or acoustic, but uh, he likes to jam out to the electric and pick up riffs here and there. And, you know, it, it, we were talking about it recently. He just said, you know, music's a part of my life, dad. Um, ever since he was little, I've had music playing in the background for him. And um, kind of like me, he's all over the board. He, we got a Spotify premium plan a couple of months ago and um, we both got like these warring uh, playlists going and a couple of times he'll be playing something. I'll be like, yeah, oh, well, you know, that one you might need to take off your playlist there, buddy. Uh, I don't know if your mom knows about that one and uh, you need to delete that one. So, um, but yeah, so I've just, it's, it's amazing to see him and the impact now. And he, I mean, he, as of right now, I want to be a musician, dad. And of course I lovingly tell him, find a job that pays the bills and I will encourage you to be a musician, but you're not living with dad till you're 40 to try to get this career started. Cause if right. I was living off my writing, we would have died a long time ago. Starvation is a horrible way to go. So um. <laughs> I want to circle back to the body man. When you create yeah. characters like uh, Eli Payne or Cat Stone and other characters, the body man himself, as you when you complete the book and you get the reception you get from people like all oh, these characters are great do you ever go back and be like man if i did this a little bit differently maybe this character could stand out more or when you when you put the body man together are you thinking book two book three in this series do you have that in your head or because you have to do specific things to these <laughs> to these characters right that, that not only serve the story you're telling this book but if they why are they still alive or why they do what they do? Does it lead to something else further than another book? So I try to, I don't know if I did it as concerted as I wish I did with the body man is I try to kind of have some stories there and leave some stuff out there that will open up for future books. I'm doing it more for breach of trust. I'm kind of learning. Cause so to answer your question, when I finished body man, I thought about it in the terms of more than one book. But because I was getting no interest from agents and I didn't know where the process would go, I, you know, I, I ended up changing the last chapter a little bit just to kind of open the door more than it probably was. Um, I was thinking one book initially. And then as I started writing it, I'm like, well, this would be a cool character. So Eli and Kat for sure. Um, and actually the where I've kind of, where I've kind of, and, and without giving up spoilers, where I ended the body man and where it picked up, um, I really then saw that, man, I can take the body man and I, ha I have a clear line of where I want to take the body man, which is what I'm working on for breach of trust. And also the third book, I've, I've kind of got a high level idea. Um, I'm kind of putting Easter eggs and breach of trust for a third book. Um, but Eli and Kat, I could see starting their own series. So I actually have a book started for them that where I'd like to, so almost where I'd like to branch out and take several of the characters as well as like Merci, female assassin. She's hardly in the body man. And she's one of the characters that early on, one of the writers said, that's a badass character. You need to do something with her. What's her backstory? Because John, my answer at the time was no clue. I didn't have a clue what her backstory was. I've created her backstory since then. I know exactly why an attractive woman decides to kill people. And I've got a really good reason why she decides to kill people right. and who she kills. Um, so yeah, so as I've kind of gotten through the process, 
yes, I've kind of then thought, okay, if I can bring this to three, four, five books, but the only thing I'll say from that is I don't think I want a Vince Flynn type Mitch Rapp character or, or I don't want to write the character for the next 20 years of my life. Um, I like the idea that these characters can kind of come and go in different stories and you already, right. you don't have to waste pages talking the background because you've already met them and they can kind of, oh, there's the body man and he's back out. Or I like the way it, this book is very conducive to that because it's like, oh, that assassin's badass. I hope I hear from her again. And maybe she does, maybe she doesn't pop up, but no, you, no you're, you're doing it the right way. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it, the, the reason I liked to the, the, the concept behind the body man is it wasn't one person. It was a right. role. And to me, that was kind of, so I've, I've kind of set up the apprentice, uh, the new apprentice in, in the breach of trust. Um, I've kind of already started putting things out there for what that person might be able to carry a book down the line as well. Um, I could also do backstory stuff. Like I, I had to figure out where did this role start with? And so I decided to make it during Kennedy and Monroe and everything going on during that administration. Um, I've actually written a chapter with the first body man. It's in my, it's on my computer. Probably should print it off one of these days. So it's not just, although I have it backed yeah. up in a few spots. Um, but yeah, I kind of like the idea that I could bounce around with that. Cause again, I don't, I, 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 the only caveat to that, I say if someone were to pull up with a dump truck and dump a pile of money in my driveway, then you might hear me say, boy, I'm so happy to write the body man for the rest of my life. <laughs> but <laughs> I but doubt even that's those the case. And even those authors or directors or bands, they still like to do something different to write a different seat, write a different album than you did before, or write a different right. story. Right. So that creative outlet uh, is just so cool. It's for, again, like I said before, we're the, we are so starved as humans in terms of real original ideas, creative ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm well aware of the secret service and all that, but to create something like the body band, it's just, it's just so cool that I'm just blown away that it hasn't been done before. Like it, it maybe this I'm, sc is, I'm scared that it has been, and I just read it somewhere and I for it's got stuck in my I, brain. I, and I pulled it out I, years later. I don't. I so. I look for this stuff, and again, where the fact that it's crazy that you, Eric P. Bishop, is the one that brought this type of character in yeah, that world that's very specific, and for you to do that in this day and age where people are literally redoing redos. Right, uh, dude. Hats off to you, man. It's just awesome. Well, uh, if if you if you want me to, I'll, and I've said it before, so I'm sure someone's seen it that might watch this. But I'll tell you how I came up with the concept. It's a quick yeah, story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I was doing a cleaning job. So we're probably going back about five years now. Um, I was doing a cleaning job. I think I was writing my third book, second or third, somewhere in that, somewhere in that. I think third. Um, and I was Friday nights. I'd go up and do this cleaning job, boring, mindless work for two and a half, three hours. And as I was pulling into the place, it was a fire sprinkler company. As I was pulling in that night, I'm like, I need a new idea. I need a new story. And so I came in, turned off the alarm and it wasn't a voice. It wasn't words. It wasn't anything like I'm not crazy, but I had this thought run through my head and it said, there's always someone who knows where the bodies are buried. Yes. And I was like, what the hell is that? You know, what, is, what, what, what okay. And my first thought was, what am I going to write a mafia story? I'm not Italian. I can, you know, I can use my hand and go, hey, hey, hey. And then, you know, but no, it's not going to work. Um, so I was like, what in the world? So I answered my own question. Who would know where the bodies are buried? And my brain kind of answered and said, uh, duh, the body man. And I'm like, that's a cool term. And then I remembered something. I had heard or, or seen a video clip. of, And so this is a true story. And I've, I've sent the president, I've sent President Obama a book. I hope, and I, in the letter to him, I said, 
I want to get a copy of this book to this person I'm about to tell you about. Um, but so I saw this news story and it said President Obama had this guy that works for him, uh, who's a real guy. Uh, his name's Reggie Love. I know a Secret Service agent that knows Reggie. And Reggie was dubbed the body man by the media. And I just, so that was my catalyst to all this. That's where it came from. And, I, and so I, I heard a little bit about Reggie did, but I never researched it, never looked into it. From what I could tell, he was kind of his right-hand man that held his Blackberry, got him his smokes when he needed it. Probably if he said, Reggie, I want that thing in the store. Reggie walked in with the money and paid for it. I don't know. Maybe he did something a lot more cooler or classified than that. And I didn't want no, to know. You're pretty spot on with it. Yeah. So he's, a, you know, a, in my brain, it was a glorified assistant that's there to take care of the needs of the principal. And I said, well, that would be a real boring book. And that's where I thought. So I had three hours, two and a half hours that night. And I said, what if the body man was actually job? What are their secret service? But what if their job wasn't to protect the person? What if their job was to protect the office? And my brain was like, ooh, ooh, I haven't heard of that before. And that's where it came from. And not exaggerating it, in two and a half, three hours that night, awesome. the book that you're holding now, I came up with a high level of what that would be. I knew where I wanted to go at the end. I knew where I was going to start. I had no clue in the middle. And then I just so I got to make up some good stuff here. And it just kind of fell into place. And I didn't then write the book for like a year and a half, two years, a year and a half, I guess, is when I started it. So I kind of, I kind of let my mind chew on it. I would take notes. I had a notepad. It's sitting up there probably. Um, if I'd make little notes of, oh, make the body man this or make that that. And it, I had a lot of time kind of in free time when I, when I hike and walk is when I think about a lot or take a shower. That's where my two creative moments um, where I'll come up with the concept. But yeah, so I, I owe it. So like I said, in the letter to um, uh, President Obama, I said, I really would love to get a copy of this to Reggie Love because Reggie is, you know, whether he never know it or not, he's kind of the guy that gave me that idea. So and it's funny, we we're talking today and I can't show it, but I, I sent out seven books to seven, you know, well, to President Biden and six former presidents. Yep. Um, I got two letters today back. I, I won't say who they were from, but I got two letters back today. First time I got a response, I sent the books a month ago. Um, and the one letter is actually a personalized letter. And it, I had a, it had a letter also from the director of communications with it as well. It said, Eric, well done, blah, blah, blah. You cannot put this letter online. You cannot talk about who this letter is from. You can't use this to promote the book. But I will say, I will cherish that letter forever because it, it mentions direct things in the book. It's signed by the president. I have a letter from the uh, from President uh, Bush, 41, um, up in the, uh, sorry, my cell phone's going. Um, sorry. Um, I have a letter from President 41 on, on, the, on the wall currently from years ago, 2000, I wrote him a personal letter and it was super sweet. So I'll get to put this letter up there as well. And I hope I hear back from all of them. Um, the, the second one I got was today was more generic. It was a picture of the president signed and it was a, a little bit more of a, it had no, no personalization, but, but the one that's personalized, you know, I of course then sent it to some friends to say, check this out. And oh my, they were like, my mom was like, I'm going to cry. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, but it, that's, it's, that's, it's that excites me. And that's also history. So, you know, there's 320 million people in this country. There's only been you know, 46 people that have signed, you know, Taft was president twice, I believe. So right. we only had 46 men that served as president. One day we'll have a woman. Um, but uh, so to have a piece of history of them, a letter from one and now two letters from presidents, um, man, that's a blessing. That's, that's an amazing blessing. So that's, uh, it, it, that's as awesome. a history buff, that makes me super excited. 
is it easier for you to create a protagonist or the antagonist? Like what, which, which you draw to more, what's easier for you to concoct a story about? I'd say the protagonist is easier, but the antagonist is more fun because you normally can take the gloves off. The, 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 the protagonist is typically the good guy. He's going to live in this world that has some rules and he, he, can, he can get as close to that line as possible and maybe step over it a little bit and still be considered the protagonist, the good guy. Um, but it's the villain that can live in anything they want. And, and, and actually, it's one of the compliments I got from the body man early on um, is I had a character named Peter Kasha. Um, Peter, you know, not giving away, but Peter's clearly not doing what he should be doing. Correct. But people pulled for him, especially towards the end of the book, where I got people saying, I want Peter to succeed, or I want him to, and they said, if you can get the bad guy to be liked by the good people that are in your book, then you hit something. And so that to me is kind of the more fun is to write the bad characters and, you know, you can make them very one-dimensional. Bad guy wants something, going to shoot oh, someone, going to do whatever, exactly. Every Islamic person's a horrible person. All these horrible stereotypes that are just full of shit, honestly. Yes. Um, but um, but how can you make a bad guy do something that you morally don't agree with? But, you know, it's kind of like talking about Merci, um, where she plays a very small role in The Body Man. And I'd like to tell her story later. How do I take someone that their job is to kill people, but make the average, you know, church going American out there say, you go girl, you should be doing that. Um, you got to be a little bit more creative. You got to be and that, That's kind of the fun part of it. So I picture her as a, uh, as a victim, just so how you wrote her. I pictured her as a victim of whether it's sexual, physical, mental assault from a male person. And then she kind of basically takes out the trash, so to speak. It's just, <laughs> it's just really cool. Like you can have so much fun with that character. The I, I could I could tell you offline, but yeah, you, yeah, you probably might be on a little something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of when you come to writing a character, are there other are there pieces pieces of you, Eric, that you kind of intertwine in these other characters you make up? Like, is there an attachment you have or a a nuance that what a character does that maybe you do and you subconsciously put it in there? Absolutely, and I won't say which ones, but um, and it's not just me. Um, it's one of the cool. I, in breach of trust, I might have too many name drops in there of people I know. Um, I did a bunch of contests too. So I had to give away, I actually found this one. I was giving away a really cool contest to give like the epic death for breach of trust. And I realized as I was giving it away that it couldn't be a man. Well, I've already built up this contest to be anyone can win. So what do I do? Well, I got to kill two people now. The really epic one's a woman. Um, and, uh, Aya Madeir, who's an author, actually won it, um, and so I've I, I've got her death scene already done. It's not it's, I haven't even read the re, I haven't wrote the chapter before or after, but I've got that scene done. I told her months ago, um, but uh, yeah, that, that that to me is to be able to well to be able to include people. I know before I had a book out before the Body Man came out, I was a cameo character in one of my friends' books, uh, one of my fellow writers' books. And it made my day to see my name in there. Like, man, I'm in a book. And then I was in several acknowledgements. Um, and I know just from a fan perspective, because I might be a writer, but at the end of the day, I'm a fan. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Jack Cars and the uh, yeah. Kyle Wilson 
you know, Daniel Silva and just, you know, so many, you know, Mark Cameron, so many of these amazing writers that I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of them too, which is pretty humbling. Um, but yeah, to be able to be included. So if I can take someone's name and use them, so I do it a lot. Uh, there are definitely made up names for sure. Um, but I do try to also intersperse real people, um, even if it's just using their name, not their characteristics, to put that name out there, because that means a lot to them. Um, yeah. And I'll ask them first, hey, do you mind if I use your name? Some of them have died. That's an easy one. I can just put their name in there because they can't argue with me. Uh, then I can make them a bad guy if I want, because, eh, you know, you're dead. You can't really you know, just roll over a little bit, you know, but yeah. you can't do much besides that. Um, but I know from a fan perspective, to see my name in there means a lot. And just people that I've put in. So, talking back to the body man, Peter Kasha is a real person. That is not his name. Um, I met him through a whole circumstance of events. That's a long story. And it's a, it's a beautiful story um, at the end because I got to meet someone really cool. But it's an alias for this person I met. And I was like, can I use it? And they're like, absolutely. And when he read the finished product, I got such a sweet response um that it just it warmed my heart to say look i made someone's day by just including them in my book you know how cool is that i'm gonna have to put names in my book why make up 100 of the names why not use some real people why not use some real stories um i've got permission from uh, a friend who is um in the uh, operation iraqi freedom uh, i got permission for him to use a story i actually recorded him so i've got the full detailed story he told me a couple names i can't include but that story is going into breach of trust this weekend. Um, and it's a real pivotal, cool story. And he said, put it in the book. It will live on. Um, and it's one of those stories people are going to read and be like, dude, that's a cool story you made up. And it's like, I didn't make it up. It's a real story. If someone told me this story and said I could put it in the book. So um, that's cool when you get to do that kind of stuff. Before I uh, let you go, obviously you're yeah. on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, the Body Man is out. I was able to get mine off Amazon. I know you have a website, but is there anything specific you want to tell people where to pick up the book, uh, stuff like that, and upcoming stuff you got coming up? Yes, appreciate that. Yeah, so right now, because with a smaller publisher, I don't have the distribution. Uh, so unfortunately, I'm not in the brick and mortar stores. I'd love to love to be at Barnes and Noble and Walmart and Target and my one of those bucket list items is I want to walk through the airport and see my book oh, and walk awesome. over there with my black I keep a sharpie in my pocket and just sign all the I don't care if the the person behind the register gets mad at me I'll I'll, I'll, I'll deck them and just I want to sign my books you know that'll be so cool to you know I see Jack Carr or Brad Meltzer do it every yep. now and then and I'm like ah you guys you're killing me um but so yeah for right now Amazon the body man it'll come up the body man Eric Bishop I'm there uh, Barnes and Noble online I'm there too as well um pretty much if you if you put put it in there in, in google you're going to get some hits there's some indie stores that have it um and you know but yeah my website is ericpbishop.com um i'm on twitter instagram facebook i even have to my kids chagrin i have a tiktok account i i post cooking my you know blackstone grill stuff on there so i put something on there so it's pretty stupid um but um yeah the social media has been good though it's it's really helped um open up some doors just meeting other authors um the biggest kicker which i had mentioned earlier is it's a time dump um so it's really helpful connecting you know clearly we've met through jason through social media um but it's one of those things that you do have to try to keep in check as much as you can because it will eat up your writing time 
It's a necessary evil, I think. Yes. Uh, if you actually are working, you need it for information. I totally get it, but it is always fun to go outside with a cigar, with some whiskey, sit by the fire, and you just hear the owl going or the coyotes. Like that is the best therapy out there. So I built a uh, fire pit this weekend with my kids, John. You're more than welcome. Come hang out. I got Blackstone Grill. I'll cook for you. Fire pit. It's awesome. <laughs> I uh, well, thank you for this, Eric, and uh, I wish you all the success for your book and your upcoming thank projects. You, and next time you want to come on here, just let me know. We'll get it done. Love to do it. I appreciate your awesome. time. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the chop fit. Over the course of the past year, the chop fit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SPEARCHOP10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10 for $10 off your chop fit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.